0: Hi, this is State Delegate Mark Corman, and from Wisconsin Avenue in District 16 to Pratt Street in Baltimore to the boardwalk on the Eastern Shore and everywhere in between, Condor Street Podcast is the go-to source for news about Maryland politics and policy.
1: welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson and we have another bonus episode this week amid the COVID-19 public health crisis. We are still social distancing so please forgive us with the audio quite up to par. We apologize for that but Michael we have a special guest again for this bonus episode and I am pretty excited about it. This is somebody else that we've had on our list for a long time.
0: Yeah, absolutely true. Uh, Kevin, been looking forward to to having a conversation like this for some time.
1: Absolutely. So today we are going to talk about, obviously, COVID-19, and we're going to get into elections and what is going on here in Maryland and across the country. And for that, we have David Lublin. David, thank you so much for joining us today. You're obviously right for the Seventh State. You're a professor of government in the School of Public Affairs at American University and the former mayor of the town of Chevy Chase. So always good to have somebody from local government to give perspective, but thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So David, first of all, I I have to ask how you're holding up, you and your family. It's tough for everybody, but how are you holding up so far?
2: Oh, well, you know, we're doing just fine here. Uh, I don't have any kids to entertain, so I have it a lot easier than many other people, I think. But like everyone else, I'm concerned about my close family members who are out of state as it happens. And, you know, many of us are in the—in fact, all of us are probably in the old enough to worry about stage or uh, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So naturally, you know, like many other people, we're concerned and just hoping we all stay healthy.
1: Absolutely. Obviously— the number one priority, right? So we're still amid this crisis. And David, I wanted to get your perspective. You're somebody who is pretty plugged in on state and local politics here in Maryland. What do you think so far about the response at the state and local level? Maryland was pretty out front in determining that we needed to practice social distancing, closing down schools, closing down businesses, restaurants, et cetera. What do you think so far as you look around the country at how Maryland has done and performed thus far?
2: You know, I think we're on the end of states. We're very lucky that we've had uh, excellent leadership uh, at both the state and local level. Um, We're a relatively centralized state in the sense of that, well, We have obviously a governor like other states, but we have relatively few local jurisdictions compared to any other place in the country, and they've all worked very well together. Um, Governor Hogan, I think, showed uh, really good leadership just uh, shutting things down uh, earlier on, being a leader and not a follower. Um, I know I was particularly impressed when he started talking about how he was working to amp up the number of hospital beds we have in the state um, before it was necessary and to do it quickly. I think he struck people as, uh, you know, very practical and uh, hitting hitting the the right note and sort of being viewed up there with other governors doing a good job like Andrew Cuomo. And I might add getting less attention, but also. Uh, doing very well are also the democratic leaders in the general assembly, as well as the democratic leaders of uh, many major counties. You know the general Assembly worked to finish accession quickly and to provide the governor with the resources he needs to help all of us fight off this ap- epidemic uh, in that shortened session
0: I think there there's a lot there david um Maryland has i think justifiably rallied around. Uh, the leadership that we've seen in our state, and I think many people share that opinion. I, I'd count myself among them. That that Maryland has been doing things, by and large, in the right direction. And you know, we had an interesting conversation a week ago on this podcast talking about issues of liberty in the face of a health crisis. And. I think that's an, that's an interesting policy challenge. To what extent do you lie these things aside one another? But um, I think Maryland does get generally good marks. I think they're deserved without getting, going down a political rabbit hole. Um, I think that's, you know, that's a good way to start this conversation. But one of the reasons we were interested in having you join us today was to talk about some of the other mechanical issues that are part of Delivering public services in troubling times, and you know we know the the, the federal government has has uh, already passed through legislation that's meant to be a we're going to try and remediate some of the harm to the economy and to businesses and to families during what's going to be a big economic shock. Um, we we know that there's a component of that that probably ends up bolstering public services through their state and local governments. Um, we don't know all the details there yet, and I don't think today's our conversation to try and break that down into fine grains, but I am interested, as, as Kevin set up, we wanna talk about elections. It's a, it's a central function uh, in Maryland. Like in most states, it's county governments who really do the nuts and bolts of administering elections uh we've got one coming other states have either been through theirs or literally as we speak going through theirs we're recording on tuesday and one state is in the midst of theirs it seems like a ripe time to talk about this particular public service and how it's being affected about the crisis by the by the crisis of the moment
2: well it's a real dilemma because you obviously want to go ahead with your elections but i think governor hogan was right to delay the democratic Presidential primary uh, until early June, given the circumstance, frankly, the seventh congressional district you know you could put anyone on the ticket there, and the Democrats going to win, so I'm not really worried about problems with that uh, election and it's, it's probably to the best that uh, the residents of uh, that area of greater, that portion of Greater Baltimore finally get representation back in the u s House again. Um, for the right. primary though, it's a real it's a real problem because June second is still going to be at the point where many people don't want to go out and vote, and so the state has moved to doing it all vote by mail. Um, nothing wrong with vote by mail. The only thing is like with any other system, you have to have the correct procedures in place to make sure it works properly. Um, it's sort of like if you go from you know driving a car to I don't know, riding a bicycle or riding a bus, you know, it's a different process and you have to be ready for that process. You know, bringing your bus pass onto the car or the bicycle doesn't do much good.
1: You mentioned the the special congressional election, obviously, is all vote by mail and delaying the presidential primary, obviously the right move, particularly not just people who would be anxious and nervous to go out and vote. But we know that many of the people who work the polls oftentimes are older and they are certainly more vulnerable to COVID-19. So finding people to work the polls, obviously a challenge. And I think, you know, watching this play out in Maryland the state board of elections struggling with you know okay we think we should do vote by mail we should mo- we should mail everybody a ballot but the question of do we have any availability for in-person voting as we know there are people who may need special assistance with ballot marking devices and whatnot and you also have a number of people who are inactive voters who may show up and want to vote and you don't want to disenfranchise anyone but at the same time You could have an issue of finding people to work the polls, especially if you can't guarantee that they'll have the proper personal protective equipment, hand sanitizer, things like that. And I think they've tried to split hairs here and say, you know, we're going to have a limited in-person voting. We're going to have a minimum of one uh, location in every county and a maximum of four But, you know, Michael and David, it's a tough call, especially June 2nd is not too far off. We've seen some projections that have this uh, pandemic going into July. Hopefully those numbers start to level off a bit. But I think it's really difficult to be in the situation that they're in right now and that the state and counties are in in trying to figure out how to balance the safety and health of everyone involved and, you know, making sure that people are able to go out and exercise their right to vote.
2: I think this is one of those areas where we have to work uh, in a couple of ways to keep the satisfactory not being the enemy of the perfect, or I guess usually we reverse that, the perfect not the enemy of the good or the satisfactory. And in this case, I think the board in setting up a number of locations statewide like that has done a relatively sensible thing because we know we'll be able to get enough poll watchers for that number of places. And with a smaller number, we can focus more on their being safe. I might question if, frankly, in a county as large as mine down here in Montgomery, if we might have one or two more. But, you know, at this, that point, I think we're more dealing with the micro rather than the bigger picture. Frankly, I'm much more concerned on the other end, which is that normally when you have vote by mail, uh, you also have signature checks to make sure that you're not having voter fraud. Okay, now voter fraud in this country generally hasn't been a huge problem. Uh, It's frankly often much overstated by Republicans in an effort to tighten access here. But all of the states that do vote by mail also have some form of signature checks to make sure that essentially the people who are voting the ballots are the people who are supposed to be voting them. And if you have signature checks, you then, if any of the ballots are challenged, need to give those voters the chance to uh, verify their ballot and and rectify the problem. I might add, the, the other thing, going back to the polling places I made, add, is look, the, the key point here is no one will be forced to vote in person and if they view it as a risk to their health. The other thing, however, is, you know, at, at times I'm, I think people are going too far in the other direction. You know, we have a lot of wonderful people who are working to do everything from, uh, you know, obviously taking care of people in hospitals, but also people working in supermarkets and other places to make sure that the supply chain continues. And, you know, my own view is that our democracy is maybe worth the same level of risk and effort. And just like with those, we should work to minimize it, but also not overstate.
0: To me, this this whole issue, and I think, you know, you're starting to set out what are the challenges from a policy perspective here? But this whole issue reeks of a cliche: the devil's in the details. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it matters what your motivations are precisely, but the the notion that we want to reduce or eliminate voter fraud or the opportunity for it, I think. Virtually everybody would agree with that in principle. Um, the, the idea that we want to uphold what is a, we, we want to offer and preserve and defend a fundamental right for citizens to vote as part of the democracy. Like you don't want people's access to be abridged. Uh, but now those principles sort of abut the practicalities of a really challenging time. So election issues are interesting politically anyway, but when you add the monkey wrench of a health crisis, um, you know, we can, you can see how badly this conversation can go. I guess where I'm
2: particularly concerned is when it comes to, first of all, close elections. So I think, for example, the Baltimore mayoral primary is a matter of concern and that if it's very close, I could well imagine challenges centering around uh, certain process issues the way it's being handled now. Uh, You know, Maryland isn't exactly a famously close state come November in the general election. Um, Look, if President Trump's carrying Maryland, he's having a heck of a night. So uh, and if Joe Biden isn't uh, something very strange has happened. So the 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 key thing, however, is that if not by June, by November, if we're going to do all vote by mail again, to me the state ought to be moving aggressively to see if it can implement some form of signature checks or at least random signature checks of a portion of people we do have databases that do encompass people's signatures in the state such as driver's licenses for example right. um, and so I can't help wonder if you know given the months ahead of time we have if there's ways to do this and that uh, you know I think I think we ought to move in that direction and And frankly, given what you're saying, not depend on everyone being able to show up for the polls in November. And the reality of the situation may be that even if we're allowed to go out and about again and can't imagine that we wouldn't be by then, that we're still going to maybe be practicing some form of light social distancing in order to minimize the reappearance. And so uh, why not take measures ahead of time to make our elections Safer, but also work as well as they can given the the circumstance. Um, I, I think this goes to the fight the Democrats and Republicans are having nationally over funding vote by mail. Given what's going on in Wisconsin, uh, I know a lot of Democrats think that the National Democrats should fight harder in the next stimulus bill to include something to uh, mandate and protect vote by mail. Because it feels like the Wisconsin, what's happening in Wisconsin is at this point a is a bit of a fiasco.
0: I find that interesting since since you mentioned the stimulus legislation, it, it was interesting to me as you know, sort of an observer of federal politics. Right. Yeah, you know, we, we work for a state association, we have our, our eyes mostly focused on the state house in Annapolis and have a limited capacity to try and become experts on what's happening in DC. But at one point, I think you had political actors saying a stimulus bill talking about funding for, or, you know, funding for voting by mail or ensuring or requiring voting by mail. um, That's a sideshow. That's got nothing to do with the current health crisis. And I think what I hear you arguing is that's not so, that that even maybe independent of where you might have been about the the preference for voting by mail or whether it's a good idea some time ago, in, in this climate, it, it's a necessity to at least have that infrastructure available in every state where we might be in the year where we need it.
2: I guess, look, my bottom line belief is this is the United States of America and a core part of all of us being Americans is having free and fair elections and the way to have good, free and fair elections and to avoid them going bad, which is what we don't want and what basically happened in 2000 is to plan ahead. Okay, Wisconsin Mm -hmm. hasn't planned ahead. That election, I think it's safe to say, has gone bad. Okay, so let's instead plan ahead so that it doesn't go bad, and also so that we have proper procedures in place and aren't trying to do it at the time, and in the hope that we're not asking the Supreme Court once again to enjoin this or allow that, um, because what you'd like to do is have the procedures set ahead of time, uh, particularly so that you know you're not making decisions in ways that are perceived as necessarily being a benefit to one party or the other, uh, except for in the sense of making it possible for more Americans to participate safely and fairly uh, in our elections. Okay.
1: I think I think that's a great point. I think that's going to be a theme here on this episode is is making decisions well in advance of the election and not being caught flat-footed like Wisconsin is today. And since you've both mentioned Wisconsin, again, they are voting today on April 7th. Let's get into that a little bit and what we don't want Maryland to devolve into as we approach our presidential primary election. Why don't we go ahead and take a quick break? When we come back, we're going to talk about what's going on in Wisconsin. Also, a few other states that I think are relevant here when we talk about the impact of COVID-19. All that and more after the break.
0: Hi, this is Brian Griffiths, the founder of Maryland Podcast Month. Maryland Podcast Month was founded in 2018 to draw attention to all of the great podcasts and podcasters here in Maryland. And during this time of social distancing, there is no better time to start learning more about locally produced podcasts. Shows like my podcast, Red Maryland Radio, I on Annapolis, the Conduit Street Podcast, JB's Drive-In Podcast, the Maryland Crabs, Quality Time, society, fringe players, and more are still putting out fresh content. Visit MarylandPodcastMonth.com to learn more about these great Maryland podcasts. That's MarylandPodcastMonth.com. And we thank you for your support of local content.
1: Welcome back to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale back here with Michael Sanderson and David Lublin, special guests today. On the front half, we talked about the election, the presidential primary upcoming here in Maryland. It has been delayed until June 2nd. The State Board of Elections has recommended to Governor Hogan that there be vote-by-mail with some limited in-person voting. I want to talk about what we want to make sure doesn't happen here in Maryland. And again, as we record on Tuesday, April 7th, Wisconsin is holding an election amid this public health crisis and, you know, let's just jump into that a little bit about what's going on. I'll set this up. So in addition to the presidential primary, there are obviously thousands of local elections and a hotly contested state Supreme Court on the ballots for Wisconsin after initially planning to go ahead. With this election, the governor there tried to delay the primary until June 9th after the legislature refused to extend absentee voting and local governments were forced to close polling places due to a shortage of willing volunteers. So from Milwaukee, for example, Michael and David, they usually have, I think, 180 polling places. Today, they only have five. And I've seen lines of five. I've seen lines Mm -hmm. of three hours today. I mean, think about that. And you have National Guard troops who are running the polling sites.
0: And Milwaukee is pretty comparable in size and to some degree demographics to Baltimore. I mean, I mean, not everybody. I mean, Milwaukee is a decent sized city, (laughs) right? Five voting locations for the full city. It's staggering. Well, and
2: that's why you really need to have sort of uh, you you might want to be so much better if we do it where everyone is sent a ballot. But then we also have a reasonable amount of confidence in the ballots coming back, because, you know, if you if if you make it so that you have to. Some people might say, well, why don't you just make it absentee by request? That wouldn't necessarily be that awful, except for that you would then still need to have even more imperatively open polling places because so many people decide to vote at the last minute and so you know certain demographics are more likely to vote in certain ways. And we're not trying to re-scramble the electorate here. We're simply trying to make it so that you know everyone who's an eligible voter can vote, you know, at least as easily as they could normally. And if you if you make everyone request you're sort of asking for for more trouble that way because you're invariably going to have longer lines at the polls versus you know my goal would be to send them out and then have some form of security on the way coming back but essentially to minimize the number of people at the polls to either you know groups like you described like the disabled or people who may be inactive voters or maybe the homeless who have trouble receiving mail but can still be registered right. voters and so that we have fewer people voting in person to ease the pressure uh, on those few voting sites or fewer number voting sites. And, you know, it's just safer all around. But, you know, these are sort of options. One good thing about Maryland is we do generally make it pretty uh, easy to register and to vote. Uh, Unlike some states, you don't have to have your absentee ballot witnessed by somebody else in order to send it back or... Um, other things that are designed to make it more difficult. Anyone can request an absentee ballot. Uh, I actually did before they moved the primary. I must say the, the form online could be a tad more intuitive. I had trouble finding <laughs> it a button myself because it's essentially the same form as if you're going to register to vote. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more or less when you request an absentee ballot. And um, I can sort of see once you get through it, why they do it that way. But Look, I have a PhD, which means I lack common sense, but um, <laughs> taking that into account, I, uh, uh, it still took me a second or two, and uh, you want to make it easy enough so even those of us who are a little deficient on these things get there a little more quickly. Yeah. And
1: of course, Maryland does have no excuse absentee voting. We also have same day voter registration, which is another issue when it comes to, you know, just straight vote by mail. If somebody shows up and wants to register, obviously you have to have a way to accommodate them. But back to Wisconsin, you know, I think this is the perfect example of being flat footed and trying to make decisions at the last second, because when the governor there wanted to extend Absentee ballots, you know, the, the attempt to count them until April 13th, the legislature challenged him in court. They went to the state Supreme Court. They also went to the U.S. Supreme Court. And I think it's an interesting question when we're in the times, the kind of times that we're in, when we're dealing with a public health emergency. I thought it was interesting that the legislature essentially argued that the governor does not have the constitutional or statutory authority to modify, suspend, or otherwise alter the statutes, nor does the governor have the constitutional or statutory authority to set the time, place, and manner of elections. And I don't think anybody would argue that there is a separation of powers issue here. But, you know, we saw last night the Supreme Court ruled in favor of that legislature that the governor doesn't have that authority and therefore cannot extend absentee ballots. They're going to go ahead with the election. They are today. But I want to get into sort of the practical versus technical issues here when we talk about holding elections in the middle of an unprecedented pandemic, a public health crisis.
2: There's a second crisis that's going on and has been more unspooling slowly, but intersecting with the COVID-19 crisis. And it's you might call our political crisis, which is that Mm. in Wisconsin, it's it's in full play where in Wisconsin, our two parties are incredibly closely divided and our two parties are really struggling within to uh, gain control of the political apparatus and the like, and we see uh, increasingly uh, partisan efforts and you know as a political scientist, I have to say that they are very heavily on the Republican side to limit the size of the uh, elected in some cases republicans would argue that democratic efforts to expand it are similarly problematic though i i think the idea that everyone should be able to vote who's eligible is perhaps less controversial but i even leaving that aside you know this the the effort to game the system and the effort to gain control of the, both the state judiciary and even the federal judiciary precisely to win things like this is why you know, you want to work these things out in advance enough. Uh, And Maryland, oddly enough, uh, so, you know, certainly our parties are growing further apart as they are elsewhere. Um, One thing we've been fortunate enough about, and maybe it's a case where leadership matters, or just everyone's sensible enough, but that our, you know, Republican governor and Democratic legislature, sure, they squabble, Um, But in fact, we want our politicians to disagree. But at the end of the day, they seem to manage to not prevent it from getting the people's business done. Okay, And and
1: that's it's a great point, because even amid this crisis, you still obviously have partisan politics at play. And this doesn't go away even in the middle of a crisis like this. And I think that's an excellent point to bring up, because, you know, this sort of divisiveness at this point, you're you're now risking people's health and you're risking the integrity of an election because of the polarization and the partisan politics at play from both sides. But it is it is a great example of the magnitude of, you know, the party polarization, not just in Wisconsin, but in so many places across this country
0: yeah I think it, it we know that there is a political backdrop to to the the sort of administration of elections right the you know the debates over what should the rules be should you have to show an ID should you have to you know do this or that and and yeah, these are questions about winning elections as much as they are about running elections so none of us are naive to that being the backdrop but at the same time, you do have to set rules for the elections, and when when we are in a challenging time and it's and it's time to rethink them on the fly, you end up with a, a really challenging confrontation over ideology here, um, and I think you know that's that's what what ended up to the United States Supreme Court. Now, you know, in the in literally in the last 24 hours, we saw controversial decisions from the highest court in Wisconsin, but then also this constitutional matter went all the way to the United States Supreme Court. And and there you had that battle of ideology about is is the first concern here separation of powers and the appropriate role for the legislative body and for the chief executive within that state, or is your primary concern where in an emergency and the practical reality is that implementing state laws to the letter the way they were conceived probably decades ago will probably end up either risking public harm or implicitly disenfranchising a lot of voters? And that's a tension that you don't really get frequently, other than an odd circumstance like the one that we're in. But I'm, I'm, I'm back with, with you, Professor Lublin. This, is, this connects back to Wisconsin was, was making this stuff up as they went along. These court cases are being decided the night before the primary election after partisan and political haggling right up to the day of. If there's one takeaway for Maryland, it's let's not follow that path.
2: I think that's right. and fortunately, the state, when it comes to simply administering the rules of voting, has been relatively permissive. In fact, generally increasingly more so. But, you know, in, in a way that seems to maximize the ability of people to vote, um, there's been a Occasional partisan tussles over the location of early voting sites, at least in in my county, but even those have been worked out. I think the thing here is that we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We just need to learn how to uh, take off the current one and put the new one on the the vehicle, so that we can drive away, and <laughs> in other words, so we can hold the election. And I guess that's what I'm I'm suggesting is that time flies and that. Uh, that obviously we're gonna have to rely a great deal on the people who administer our elections. And I know the board will be guided somewhat by their advice, but at the same time, the board is really gonna need to press those people because they're gonna have to operate outside their comfort zone to figure out how to make some of this stuff work. And it's, it's often easier to say, oh, this is impossible to do as a means of not having to figure out how to do it, shall we say? So, and I'm not saying this is is particularly unique to our election officials or that they're particularly inclined to that I'm not not trying to cast dispersions on any particular person, Uh, but it is human nature. And given the specificity of election administration, one well understands the reluctance to change it midstream, but they're going to have to make some uh, real adjustments here. And I think they should be encouraged to make you know, as many as possible that will help make vote by mail work well and securely, but also make sure we protect the rights of people to vote through limited polling places. And it's it sounds like the board, after getting pushed by the threat of lawsuits, moved in the right direction on that one. Mm.
1: Sure. You know, and and as as you are a professor of political science, I am interested though in you know, When it comes to something like this, is it fair to say, and I don't think anybody would argue, again, what, what is in statute, but when it comes to either interpreting the, the state constitution rigidly or saying, look, this is a unique circumstance and we need to delay. Someone needs to have the authority. I think we saw this play out in Ohio in mid-March where literally it came down to the end and, and their health officials were able to say, no, we're not doing this. It's, it's going to jeopardize the health of our of our residents. And obviously that was unique, I think, in Ohio and maybe some other states. That wasn't an option in Wisconsin. But in your interpretation, when it comes to either being practical or being rigid, where do you come down on, you know, who should make that decision if you are ultimately not only disenfranchising voters by holding the election in the middle of a pandemic, but also, of course, the public health as a whole?
2: Look, our whole system is one of checks and balances. And so the hope is to try and work it out in advance as possible through the legitimate legal channels we have in the state. Okay. And because part of the rule of law is doing that. And and even when Governor Hogan was, you know, moving the primary using executive authority, he was, you know, I believe doing so under the, you know, the appropriate color of law, if you will, that's granted to him in emergencies like this. Um, the key thing is now. You know, I think there's been a lot of discussion over COVID-19, if whether we've wasted the time between when we first knew about this uh, in China and our preparations and that we should have spent more of that time getting on the ball prepared. Okay, COVID-19 has hit. We now know our elections are most likely going to have to change a lot. Um, Let's start making let's start making the election changes now and not waiting until October so that we can do as good a job as possible. Um, and I, I deeply sympathize with the election administrators all over Maryland having to work with this because it's it's not easy. And a, election administration is really complicated in that there's tremendous amount of detail, as was mentioned before. And you also want good adherence to rules uniformly around the state so that, you know, everyone's treated fairly and that, you know, it's not all of a sudden magically easier to vote in Say Garrett County, the Montgomery County, or the reverse. So, you know, I, I have a lot of sympathy for them, but that's all the more reason to uh, we we really need to get moving on this and come forth with a plan.
0: So, let me take a second. Then, I think that sets the stage for maybe. Let me do an audience proxy question. Both of you have been following sort of the policy debate in Maryland closely, and. On a superficial level, it kind of sounds like the Maryland plan for the primary we intend to have in, I guess, eight weeks, sounds superficially pretty similar to what Wisconsin ended up with, that uh, voters have an opportunity to vote by mail, but there will be limited in-person. Huge difference,
2: okay? Maryland will be sending ballots to everybody, okay? In Wisconsin, you had to apply for an absentee ballot, so.
0: A huge difference, agreed,
2: yeah.
1: Uh, And, and, you know, David, you you mentioned too, you know, the the prospect of of litigation and the state board, obviously considering that. And again, I I think that they are in an impossible position. There are going to be lawsuits regardless. I mean, you're going to have losing candidates filing litigation, you know, saying that the rules were changed in the middle of the game and they're upset and they feel like they didn't get a a fair shake. They know that there is going to be a lot of litigation regardless of what they do. So I do agree with you that they probably decided the right thing in terms of making sure that people have the opportunity but they're going to get sued either way there's going to be a lot of challenges I think I guess the worst case scenario is the results get get challenged
2: here's the thing is that election challenges are sort of complicated uh, sure ones after the fact tend to fail unless they have something regarding about what actually happened on election day because in general right. courts, don't want to sort of rewrite the election rules post hoc or or annul an election result and call a new one. In general, you have to file if, if the challenge couldn't have been foreseen in advance, you have to file it in advance. And one reason the board changed here is it became increasingly clear that they might face a challenge well in advance to the idea of canceling polling places. Because if you tried to file that challenge after the election, chances are a court would say, hmm, that's an interesting claim, but you know. Uh, under, you know, legal doctrines, you should have brought that case much sooner because, you know, we don't just every time anyone feels bad that something should have been differently. We don't annul the election. The, the problem will yeah. more be if it's a really close election and people will start wondering about, you know, gee, did every everyone who vote, were they the actual voters who were supposed to vote? were they Right. Um, right. And questions like that. So. Um, in the, ironically, I'm more concerned about that in June for two reasons. First, because the Baltimore mayoral primary may very well be very close. And secondly, because we allocate delegates to the democratic convention proportionally, which means the margin of victory, not just statewide, but in each congressional district actually matters for that purpose, even if, as we expect, Joe Biden wins the thing rather easily. So, uh, ironically in November, we're sort of blessed that we're not, in fact, holding all of our local elections. We, we took care of that uh, two years ago, mercifully. And, uh, you know, the, the reality of our federal elections is um, I, I bet either one of us could place bets on <laughs> the, uh, shall we say, the, all of the federal races. And all three of us might be able to guess all of them correctly.
1: So maybe not as as of much consequence here in Maryland but obviously in other states you're going to have these kind of issues pop up. And I I wanted to get into one other interesting item that played out as we've gone through this pandemic, and it's in Michigan. And there's been a lot now said about Michigan. You know, they went through with their presidential primary on March 10th, and they have a much higher rate of COVID-19 than Ohio, which same region. Generally, the population centers can be described as pretty close And there's a lot of thought now that going ahead with that presidential primary in March could be a possible factor in the state's elevated cases. When you have large gatherings of people, obviously it makes it easier to spread. We know that now. You know, again, this is this is one where you're trying to balance holding elections and, and making sure that people have the opportunity to go out and vote, but also you're in the middle of a public health crisis. I don't know if it's fair to blame anyone. I mean, back in March, obviously we knew this was coming on strong, but people are in really tough positions. But I think this is an example of what can happen if you don't get it right. And again, back to that theme, of let's make sure we're prepared. Let's make sure we're not seeing Supreme Court challenges the day before Maryland's presidential primary. And I think we've gotten from this conversation that Maryland is going in the right direction, that people are working together. You know, I'm in constant contact with all our local boards of elections and with the state board. And I know that it has been challenging. People are scared. Everyone's trying to work this out and make sure that we're prepared. But I think it's interesting too, David, that you you mentioned that we should be prepared in November if we do have to go ahead with voting by mail to make sure that we sort of dot the I's and cross the T's before we get to that point. So that's just another factor, I think, moving forward that we're going to have to look at.
2: I guess, look, since we don't know that that's not going to happen, the worst, the the quote unquote worst thing that could happen is uh, we discover a vaccine tomorrow. And by September, everyone's vaccinated. And it turns out we didn't need this plan, but we can still all vote by mail anyway and have a perfectly fine democratic election. Um, You know, but there's far from certainty that that happy outcome will occur. So to me, let's plan based on knowing that a lot of people may be reluctant to go to the polls. We're a democracy. We pride ourselves in making sure people can vote. Let's make sure they can vote and that. You know, the people we elect are the people that the people of our state want to send to Washington and, you know, other elections that are going on around the state. It is hard work. And I I know that everyone's trying to work at it. I just I encourage people, despite the current stress, despite the anxiety to continue to push forward and making a plan of what they're going to do now so that they can then execute it and carry it forward. And and frankly, like I'm trying to do with the sort of exact number of polling places that should be open, you know, let's I think it's important to try and reserve our criticisms for the more major issues rather than for small things that one might uh, uh, have reasonable differences in judgment about and and give give the people a little credit for doing their best, you know, which which I think, as you said, they are.
1: That's a great point. Michael, any closing thoughts here as we wrap up? our discussion about elections amid a public health crisis?
0: (laughs) I I, I guess to to step back for a moment, um, thanks very much for joining us, Professor Lublin. You've been on our list of people we thought would mesh nicely with the kind of politics and policy in Maryland that we've been trying to cover. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry that it took a crisis situation like this to bring us together, but social distancing made this uh, seem a little more practical than, than us hauling all the way out your way with all of our technical equipment and so forth. So hey, there's a, there's a little bit of a silver lining here. We're happy to have this conversation.
2: Well, I look forward to talking to all of you in person one day rather than over the computer. Uh, and if any of your listeners see me on the street, remember, don't come up and shake my hand, just wave from a distance and uh, hope everyone stays safe and healthy.
1: And David, I, I have to mention, you're a great Twitter follow. Please tell people how they can find you on social media and where they can read your work.
2: Ah, well, uh, you can uh, read my uh, political commentary and uh, sarcastic tweets online at, at the Seventh State, um, And the blog is simply called uh, TheSeventhState.com. You can go to it. Uh, and if you're wondering the name of the blog and the Twitter handle, that's what Google was invented.
1: I will echo Michael's comments, David. We'd love to have you back on for a future episode. You've been on our list, and I certainly appreciate you being here today. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. That way, everything is sent directly to you automatically. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and, of course, the Conduit Street blog. But for David and Michael, Kevin Canale signing off, and we will talk to you soon.